Today is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, The reason this day exists at all is due to the historic Supreme case of Roe versus Wade. In January of 1973, the Supreme Court ruled that abortion would be legalized in the United States. Though certainly abortion was taking place before this legalization, uh, Roe did nothing but increase that rate and the availability of it. The impact on Roe has been massive, it has been deadly, and is a stain on the moral conscience of our country. Uh, It is estimated that there have been 59 million abortions in the United States from 1973 to 2018. If you were to look at the website numbersofabortions.com, it is higher than that. I invite you to check that out today. When you click on it, uh, it will start a counter and it will tell you how many abortions have taken place since you opened that website. Um, It is jarring to say the least. According to the Right to Life um, a website, uh, here are a few other things. 26,594 inducted abortions were reported in Michigan in the year 2017. Also in 2017, 18, excuse me, 89.2% of the Michigan women who obtained an induced abortion were not married. That is an increase of 6.8% since 1985. Abortion would be the number one cause of death if counted. So for example, in 2014, there were more abortions, 926,200, than deaths due to heart disease or cancer in the United States. For more perspective, consider this. There are more abortions performed every year in America than combat deaths of all our wars from 1775 to 2018. If this does not um, wake us up to the problem, I'm not sure what might do that. May God have mercy on us. Jesus, pray with me now. Father, um, we hear these numbers, and some of these numbers we've heard before. We've heard of the number maybe yearly. Maybe we've heard even the, the, the running total, the 59 million. Father, I don't think we can even really grasp that. I can't even grasp that this morning, what what that even means. What that means to our society, what it means to civilization, what it means to a country. Fathers, we talk this morning, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes again to the beauty, to the value of human life. And Father, would you help us to know how to respond to not only our current situation, our current crisis, but even how to respond to your word. We're asking for your help this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, This morning, I want to simply remind us why all human life is, in fact, sacred. Why life matters. Because God created us in his image 
and for his glory. God created us in his image for his glory. We are created with purpose and with reason. Before we get to these three points, let me give you three preliminary points. When we talk about the sanctity of human life, we largely talk about abortion, and rightfully so, given the statistics, that makes absolute sense. However, there could be a sense in which you and I check out from the concern, meaning uh, maybe in this room, maybe none of us are in, are in danger of, of having an abortion today. Maybe that's not your issue, or maybe you don't think that's really that, that, that much of an issue for you. But, but we want to understand this, that when we talk about the sacredness of life, it involves more than just abortion. It involves valuing life at all stages of existence. So things like murder, things like euthanasia, things like suicide and self-harm, things like human trafficking, and any conduct that would devalue another human, this is all in the scope of the sanctity of human life. It's all saying that, that life matters, and therefore these things have no place among us. Secondly, there may be some here today who have had experiences with abortion. Maybe you yourself have had an abortion. Maybe you know someone who has and I want you to hear me this morning that there is grace for you as there is grace for all of us. We stand here today not, not to condemn. That is not what we're doing here today. It's not beating a drum of how bad these people are or anything of that nature. There are certainly those who, who may believe that this was their only real option. They didn't see another way out and therefore they were pressured. We're not here to beat up on anyone. He who is without sin, may he cast the first stone this morning. We do not condemn. Rather, we invite. We invite, as Jesus has invited throughout the pages of Scripture, and we invite today to receive the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus that's available to him as you come to him in repentance and in faith. What we're doing here this morning is affirming God's good design, his good gift, and the value of all human life. That's the goal this morning. Third point. The real issue today is not whether or not life exists in the womb. Okay, so sometimes we, we think that might be the argument. Like maybe they just don't understand people who, who support abortion. Maybe they just don't understand that, that that's life. That's not actually the problem, right? Not, not in 2019. Science would, would dictate to us that that is just not even the question. So that's the wrong argument. So if we're, if we're pent up trying to argue with someone that there's life in the womb, uh, we're, 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 we're having the wrong conversation. Maybe the question of, of when life begins, that still may be relevant, but the real issue is not if there is life, but who has authority over that life. That's the issue. Now, the reason why these reminders that we'll talk about today, these three, are necessary is not because life is in question, but because the authority over life is in question. When we read, we read our Bible, we read in Romans chapter 1, and we find out that in our sin, we repress God. We repress the truth. 
We, we don't want to hear it. We don't want there to be an authority over us. We don't want someone to be able to tell us what is right and wrong, how I should live and how I shouldn't live. We want autonomy. We want to be able to make our own choices. We want to call the shots. We want to be God. That's, it. That's as old as the Bible's old. That's as old as, as, as Lucifer is. We want to be God. But if God is the creator which we'll find that he is, then that means that we are the created. And if we're the created, then the creator has authority over the created. And only one, there is only one who rightly determines the value of life is the one who created life. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But first, or so first, let's look at God having created us. Um, Our origin story is significant, a significant part of what makes us who we are. So who your parents were, or who they are, uh, where and how you grew up, um, how you were raised, what kind of system, what kind of religion or morals or foundations were you raised with, what kind of traumas did you experience in life, what kind of tragedies in life, All those things begin to form who we are and how we see the world. There's a popular television show called This Is Us. And this show explores the impact of one family and their their origins. Uh, What came before them? Mainly their, their father and the life of their father, and their father died, and how that impact impacts the children and his widow, and so on and so forth. Uh, this show is void of the impact of spiritual things, as unsurprisingly, it is not written from a biblical worldview, and it makes little or no effort to include any, any sense that, that God has any role in what is happening in life. Still, Though our, our past does have something to say about us. It's true. It's not the ultimate definition, but it does say something about us. But even more than our, our own origin story, what is deeper is that there's an origin story that's even more significant. You see, as we go back to the origins, the beginnings, the, the genesis of all things, we come to find out that there is this God who created everything. And the origin story goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we keep reading, we find out that God created everything. And he created you and he created me, he created man. In chapter 1, verse 26. In Psalm chapter 39, the psalmist gives this great description of what God does and how God has created. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. Psalm chapter 139. If you are able, would you stand with me as we read these verses? In Psalm chapter 39, beginning in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, my unformed substance. In the book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. 
May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The first thing we see here is that God formed his creation. We see it there in verse 13. You formed my inward parts or my, my insides. Right? You formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, the beginning of verse 13, four, is, uh, is part of a, a, a broader context of this chapter. And that, that word four connects us back up to the, the previous section, verses 11 and 12, that read like this. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light shall be night, even the darkness is, is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. What is David saying here? The, the darkness that covers... Uh, covers me relates to the mother's womb in verse 13, uh, as does the poetic expression in verse 15. If you look at verse 15 with me, when he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven to the depths of the earth. In secret, depths of the earth, both are poetic expressions of the womb. David is saying, inside the womb, stuff was happening. You were forming me when I was in my mother's womb. This psalmist uh, without medical advancements, uh, it does a pretty good job of recognizing that God was at work in ways that he could not have seen, which we now can. God was working by forming or by knitting or covering in the womb. Verse uh, Genesis 2-7 tells us that God formed Adam. So too has he formed you and me. This is what we know, now know, we could call human development, right? The courses of, of how life develops inside the mother's womb. We know it's uh, some 40 weeks of development from stages of conception to the embryo to the fetus. And just for the record on the word fetus, sometimes fetus is used and it almost sounds like we're trying to distance ourselves from the word baby by using fetus. But be it known, fetus is from the Latin word that means baby, Okay, so if someone uses baby as though they're trying to, to get away from, excuse fetus as though they're trying to get away from a human word, it is a human word, all right? Sometimes we're, we don't want to use the word baby here, um, but, but it, it is. It's the same thing for the record. Uh, we could go through a, a detailed description of development. We could do that now. We could talk about what's happening and when it's happening and how it's happening. Uh, one of the inserts that maybe you got, I don't know if we passed them all out, but um, from right to life is a, uh, a detailed description of, of the development from week to week. Uh, if you, there might be some out in the foyer on your way out. You can see how the baby is developing. If you've ever had a baby, you know that. If, you've, uh, if your husband or if you've, you've walked through that, that those, those weeks, it's, it's amazing, right? It's, it's shocking of what is actually happening there. It's hard to believe that anyone can argue uh, about any of that. But as we think about that, as we think about this development, as we think about this forming that's happening inside the womb, almost unbelievably so, we read verse 14 and agree with the psalmist at this, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. My soul knows it very well. The response to, uh, to this, Eugene Peterson says it this way, in the presence of birth, we do not calculate, we marvel. When you, when you read that, when you see that development, when you understand what's happening there, and 
it's just to, to step back and say, oh my word, how can this be? How can this actually be happening? How can, how can he create this? How can he knit us together? How is he doing that? It's a fearful thing. It is amazing of how God does that. Andrew Fuller says it this way. He's a Baptist missionary from ways back. <clears throat> the human frame is so admirably constructed, so delicately combined, and so much in danger of being dissolved by innumerable causes that the more we think of it, the more we tremble and wonder at our own continued existence. Right? Shouldn't we? It's amazing that we're still alive. Right? It's amazing that we, we, we still get up every day. It's, it's amazing that the body works the way it does. We are wonderfully made. Wonderfully made. This idea here of of being wonderfully made in the, in the Vulgate, it translated or re- rendered it this way, painted as with a needle. And in verse 15, if you look at verse 15, when it says um, intricately woven or skillfully woven, in Exodus, this same word is, is um, translated embroidered. That's the idea here. That, that, that's the kind of needlework, the kind of precision skill that's happening as God forms his marvelous creation. God's creation is extraordinary. So we say with the psalmist, marvelous are your works. My soul knows it. It knows it. Human life is not an accident. It's not happenstance. It's not left to evolve. God's creation is intentional. God knows his creation. We come to verse 16 and we read this. In your eyes, my, uh, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. Verses 13, 14, and 15 tells us that God formed our bodies. Here in verse 16, we find that he planned our days. So not only he formed our bodies, but he planned our days. He fashioned them when as yet there were none. So before you were born, God planned your days. He knows what's going on. He knows your last day too. He's the author of them. He saw us. He knew us. While we're still unformed, we could say in our embryonic condition, he knew us. And he had a plan for us. Our lives have a plan and it's God's plan. The one who made you knows you. The God who creates, he creates with a reason and a purpose, and we have value. Therefore, who are we to think that some life, whether unborn or unplanned, does not matter? Or is up for for our determination of its viability? God is the creator, and as we think about that, we must consider what, what that actually means. You're not self-existent. You're here because God in his wisdom puts you here. We owe everything to him. God created us. But he didn't just create us. He created us in his image. I invite you to turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. 
Genesis chapter 1, we read these words in verses 26, 27, and 28 concerning God's creation of man. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of heaven and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We are made in the image and after the likeness of God. This is no small thing. This is, this is, this is a game changer. This is life defining. That we carry with us the image of God. That imprinted on us is the very image of God. We were made by God in his image in order to image him, to show him. You get that? That that's why you were created? You were created as the image of God to show God. So here's an image of the most beautiful children in the world. Right? This is an image. It is a picture of something, of someone, of someone's. It is not them. They're not literally up there, right? Those are pixels, right? That's an image of something that is real. It's not the real thing. It's a picture of something that is real. So as, as the image of God, that doesn't mean we are God. It doesn't mean we're going to become God. It means that, that we are showing what God is like by the way we are made. Matthew Henry uh, says this, God's image on man consists in three ways. First, in his nature and constitution. I'm not talking about body. We're not saying that our bodies are like God. God's a spirit. So clearly, that's not how we're like God. That's not how we're made in God's likeness. We're made in his nature and his constitution. Uh, Matthew Henry calls this the, the understanding, the will, and active power. We're made in God's image because we have a soul, or we are a soul. We are eternal. And as we exercise our intellect, our emotion, our will, we are imaging God. Secondly, we see this in his, or man's, place and authority. A couple times here, we've just read in Genesis 1, about, about ruling, about dominion, about subduing. That we image God when we take seriously our responsibility as humans to care for, to rule, to subdue, or to cultivate the earth. That's a calling on God from God to you and to me. Thirdly, it is purity and righteousness. It is purity and righteousness. Matthew Henry says this, God's image on man consists in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 4, 24. And to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. So as we put on the new self, 
and live in holiness and righteousness, we image who God is. You want to image God? You want to show what God is like? That is putting on the new self. It's walking in holiness and righteousness. We are made by God and for God to image God. And this is not something that we work up to, right? You don't work up to imaging God. You don't get real good at it. No, no, the image of God is on you. You are born that way. Every one of you who sit here today, every one of you who sit here today, carry with you the image of God. You say, well, I'm not even a Christian. It doesn't matter. By nature, you are, you are carrying the image of God. By nature, you, are, you have value. You are the Imago Dei. The image of God is on your life. That's why we care about all of life. We don't just care about the Christian's life. We care about all of life. We care about all the people who are in danger. We don't care just about the Christians who are in danger. There are people all over the world, Christian and non, who are in danger. We care. Why? Because it's the Imago Dei. Because it's the image of God that is being represented and is being distorted. Since we carry the image of God, we have value. We have value, whether that's at conception, whether that's at 12 weeks, 24 weeks, 40 weeks, 3,750 weeks, whatever the case is. You carry the image of God, therefore, all of human life is sacred. That's why Genesis 9, 6 says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man his own image. Because it matters. Human life matters. It's not just like anything else. It's not, not like a, an animal. It's not like something other than human. It is one of a kind. Only humans carry the image of God. Therefore, human life, all of human life, carries value. So we ask, how does being created in God's image inform our responsibilities? What if you woke up tomorrow and said, I'm made in the image of God. How does that change the way I live? You're representing God today. How does that change the way you live? Not just thank God that you created me. No, no, no. God created you with a purpose to image him. How would that change the way you speak? How would it change the way you act? But finally, God created us in his image and for his glory. We'll go quickly. The glory of God is most clearly seen in the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, at least the end of it says this, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ is the image of God. That means what Jesus did, the gospel, is the best image of the glory of God. God coming down for man, showing his deity as a man for us. Jesus is the image of God, right? That's true. But what we find out is that we too were created in God's image and we too are made to glorify God. Isaiah 50, 43, 7 says this, Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You were created for God's glory. God, God made you. He made you in his image. And he made you for his glory. Well, how do we glorify God? Here are three ways, and this is not an exhaustive list. The first way is that we become more like Jesus. You want to you glorify God? You want God to be glorified, God to be seen in your life? Become more like Jesus. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's the goal, right? That's the mission. That, that's what we're, we're seeking in our Christian walk, is from one degree to the, to the next. We don't, we don't look for perfection. That, that's unrealistic. But we do look for development, for growth, for progress, from one degree to another. Secondly, we glorify God by being satisfied in God. When we treasure God above all things, God is glorified in that. Psalm chapter 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know that today? That he's good? He's better? He's better than anything else. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, 21. Paul, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted or magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying that his satisfaction, his hope was in, in Christ, right? That's where his hope lied. He was satisfied in God. Or as John Piper says it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The second way that we glorify God is by being satisfied in him and who he is and what he gives. Thirdly, by using our gifts to serve. We glorify God by using what we've been given to serve. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves with the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our responsibility is to glorify God by using our gifts. Like I said just before, this is not an exhaustive list. We could keep going, but sufficient. We could even just say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. This would have covered it all, right? Whether you eat or whether you drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's, that's our job. That is what God is calling us to. So we ask, how are we glorifying God? God created us in his image for his glory. We could summarize this by saying this, or saying it this way. Life is from God. Life points to God. And life is for God in his glory. Life is sacred and life matters. One last thing. God sent Jesus from heaven to earth as a baby. As a baby. The Greek word baby is used five times in the New Testament. Four of those are referring to an actual baby. That's the term. In Luke chapter 1, verses 41 and 46, we see it used twice. Luke chapter 1 is talking about Elizabeth and her baby, John the Baptist. When it's used of this baby, John the Baptist is still in the womb. It's saying that the baby in the womb is actually a baby. Right? That's no news to us, but that's how it uses the word. It's still a baby. 
In the next chapter, we find this word is used of an, another child, of Jesus, who's called a baby. And we read these words in verse 12. And this will be assigned to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Same word, right? So the baby on the inside, the baby on the outside. We, we know that, but the Bible's affirming that to us. But even more than that, what does that communicate to you and me about the value of all life? That God would choose to come as a baby. What does that say? What does that say to us about how, how we should value that life? How we should care to protect that life? How we should have eyes to that and hands that want to work for the protection of that. Jesus did not just come to demonstrate that life has value, but he has come to demonstrate God's love and give life everlasting. You know that today? It is great that God has given to us physical life, but that's not all that Jesus was doing. He wasn't just affirming physical life as valuable. He came to give us life that would last forever. So I ask you, have you come to the point in your life where you've recognized God as your creator? You see him as your Lord and your Savior? Do you see him as the authority in your life? Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 tells us that there's going to come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But that day is going to happen whether you want, you want to confess it or not. You will. He will be your judge at that point. The invitation today is to come and see him as the Savior that you so desperately need. If you have come to Christ, if you're sitting here today, you say, yeah, I, I've trusted in Christ, my Lord, my Savior. I want to ask you, how are you living your life in such a way that God is on display his image is being seen, and he is being glorified. The Bible is pretty clear about this. That we are salt and light, and the, the point of it is so that people would see our good works and glorify the Father, not glorify you, glorify the Father. Not glorify the one who is, is the image of the Father, glorify the actual Father. So church, how will we live today as the children of God, created in the image of God, for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help us today to actually live in such a way that you receive glory? May we recognize and affirm again that we were made by you in your image and for your glory. Would you help us to know each one this morning? Lots of different people here today, different phases of life, different issues in life, different places in life. What are the implications for each one of us? Maybe there's some who, who still want to push back on you being their creator. They want authority in their life. God, I pray that you would help them to see that you are not just the creator. You're, 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 you're the creator who loved them, who, who skillfully and intentionally made them. But maybe there's some today who don't quite understand what it means to, to live in the image of God and the value that they hold. Not the value they think they hold or the value that someone else says they hold, but the value that they do hold given to them by you. I pray they would understand that today. For those today who, who know you, maybe they know that they carry the image of God, but their life is not living been, been living to glorify you. I pray this day that you might cause them to see the areas of their life that 
may need to submit again to you, that in all things you would receive glory. Would you be glorified today in us? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.